0: Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I'm guests. We're so grateful that you're here this morning. You picked a great day to come. Uh, we're jumping into a brand new series entitled Uncommon. Now look at your neighbor and say uncommon. uncommon. Now you don't need to turn here, but I want to give you the key verse that's going to kind of permeate or, um, or, or that this whole series is based off of, and it's found in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Verses one and two, and and Paul says it's something like this. He says, "I I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view and in light of everything that God has done for us, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your reasonable act of worship." And then look what he says. I'm going to show you on the screen here. He says, "And do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think." You see, God's not in the business of just wanting to change you. Because if you just change, you can always change back. God wants to transform you. God wants a metamorphosis to happen. So just like a butterfly can never go back to a caterpillar, God wants to transform you in such a way that you can never go back to your old ways, habits, and old ways of living. But Look at the purpose behind it. And I want to show you this so you can continue in that for me. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many of you guys know that sounds really exciting? How many of you guys want to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life? So so the bottom line for this entire series, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that God has called us to live an uncommon life in a very common world. And so I wanted to kick off this first installment with a question. Not so much a topic, but a question. And the question is this. The question is, how do we live an uncommon life in uncontrollable circumstances? How do we live an uncommon life in uncontrollable circumstances? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much just for your grace and for your mercy. God, I thank you for your strength. Lord, I pray that every word from my mouth would be from your heart. I pray that you would uh, strengthen us um, on the inside today, that you would transform us as we open up your word. Lord, that we would leave here, um, not as we came, but Lord, transform more and more into your image, Jesus. Thank you so much, God. We love you. We worship you. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Was well, has anybody ever had a back-to-back week? A back-to-back week or a back-to-back day? You know, where, where things start attacking back-to-back-to-back? To back to back. It just seems like you find yourself moments where every time you turn your head, you feel like you're getting punched in the face. It's like, oh, 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 back to back to back. Well, we had one of those weeks this week, and it all started off in the beginning of the week. My youngest uh, was throwing up um, all night. And how many of you guys know, like I told you, uh, I can handle all the other stuff, but the throw up is like, oh, it's rough. And especially all night, so she had diarrhea all day, excuse me, too much information, and then she just throws up all night and keeps us awake. Are you tracking with that? And, uh, and then we get on, uh, so that's Monday, Tuesday, get on to Wednesday, and I wake up to this glorious reality that my beautiful wife has crashed both of our cars. Anybody ever have that happen? Now, now first of all, she's safe. It happened in our driveway And uh, she was backing up, she forgot that I was still home, and she proceeded to turn the wheel, hence scraping the entire portion of my car. Let me show you a couple of pictures here. So the top one is her car, just, you know, some minor uh, dents on the bumper, and the bottom is mine. Now, you guys would be really proud of me, and you know that as your pastor, I share with you all my flaws. So you know I'm not a perfect guy, but I got to share with you some wins, and this was a win because I handled it right I handled it right. I came out, I looked at it, and there was a lot of stuff going on, but I don't have the time to tell you all that's been going on this week. I looked at it, and I just sang a song to Jesus. I just started worshiping the Lord. And then I looked at Jackie, and I said, babe, listen, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. This makes for great sermon material. It's going to fit right into my message today. And, uh, and she's looking at me like, are you serious? Like, are, can I trust you? Now, I will be honest. I thought about bargaining because this puts me in a great bargaining position, right? In a marriage, uh, this puts me in a great position to make a couple of deals, but I didn't do that. I just lovingly served my wife because I'm a man of God, and that's what we we do, right? Um, Yeah, you can clap it up for that, but it's not over. So that was Wednesday. I went back to work because I had a lot of stuff to do, just kind of left the cars alone. Well, then it got real on Thursday because I needed to run a couple of errands, went to get in my car and realized my door doesn't open. So I had to go through the passenger side, crawl through to sit in the driver's seat on my way to a hospital visit because I'm a man of God and that's what we do, right? And uh, on the way to the hospital visit, I rolled down the window because it's a little bit stuffy only to realize now the window won't roll back up. Now I freeze all the way to Oakland. Get to Oakland, realize that I have valuables in the car, so I have to kind of gather all my valuables with me before I go into the hospital. Come back out, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take this car to the body shop so I can get an estimate. Maybe I don't have to go through insurance. Maybe I can save a couple of bucks. And so I come back to the body shop. I pull in, and she looks at me, she says, no, sir, you need insurance. This is going to be a lot of money. And, and then my battery dies. And so at this point, I'm still singing. I'm like, Jesus. Lord, right, I'm still singing, so go to bed that night, uh, go to bed that night, it's, it's Thursday night, uh, Hannah's throwing w- up, wake up the next morning, I feel kind of sick, I'm like, oh no, but it's family fun day, so I got to push through, because I'm a man of God, that's what we do, right, I got to push through, and so I get up, we go have fun with my kids, but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, that night, Hannah sleeps through, no getting sick, I wake up yesterday, fever and throwing up, come on, it's a back-to-back week, don't look at me like you've never had a back-to-back week. Is there any human beings in this place today? Now, now listen, the, the, the truth is I'm, I'm, I'm looking at our week and it feels like just a lot of things are out of control. In fact, there's so many things that are outside of my control that it can feel a little bit overwhelming. And maybe you didn't have a week like that. But maybe today you're single and you want that game to change. But but it's kind of out of your control because that decision just doesn't involve you, but it also involves another person responding in the same way. <laughs> maybe for you, it's, it's a promotion. Maybe, maybe you've been up for a promotion. Maybe there's three people that are kind of gunning and, 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 and fighting for that same position, and you've been doing everything. You've been working hard. You've been crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's. But still, there's this sense of it's outside of your control because it's your superior that, that gets to make the final decision. And it can create a little bit of tension. Now, now others of us, it may be a little bit thicker and deeper than that. Some of you may have a wayward child that they're making decisions right now that are completely outside of your control. And you want so badly to fix it, but, but there's nothing you can do because they keep making those same decisions. Maybe you're here today and and you've made some bad choices. And as a result of your bad choices, you've made a mess of things relationally, tangibly, financially. And you're trying so hard to make things right, but some of the carnage and some of the the the, the, um, the ramifications of your choices seem to be outside of your control. Maybe you got sick or a diagnosis. That, that, that you're one that's used to being in so control and, and you're always kind of on your A game and all of a sudden you went to the doctor and there was a diagnosis and you're not sure what to make of it and, and all of a sudden for the first time you feel like your life is uncontrollable. You feel like you're out of control. Now, now it's in these moments that, that even though circumstances in life may be out of control, there's still choices to be made in the midst of. Let me say that one more time. Even though life circumstances may be out of control, there are still choices to be made in the midst of. You see, all of us will choose to respond in a particular way. Now, many of us, we respond in, in very common ways. And we're going to learn from some kids this morning because I think kids can paint a, a great picture uh, of our lives sometimes. And, and when, when uncontrollable circumstances hit and we find ourselves in a moment where we're really not sure what to do, we really don't have much control, many of us or a common response can look like this. Let me show you a picture of this young lady. It can just feel like all of a sudden at one moment, fear, anxiety confusion, doubt, worry, anger, frustration just come all together at one time, and that's what you get. Now I know some of you guys are here, you're, you're looking at me, you're like, that's my life. <laughs> like, how does he know? I'm telling you, it's common. Maybe you're like, no way, I'm way too sophisticated for that. Uh, maybe some of you, you guys respond in this particular way, that when things are uncontrollable, you just lie down and you just give up. Come on, you know who you are where, you know what, forget it. It's not even worth trying anymore. It's gone. It's dead. I'm just, I'm just going to lay down. You know what, why don't you hit my car three more times? It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to lay down. It's dead. It's over. Right? Some of us, we just lay down and quit. And then others of us, again, we, we, we don't quit and we definitely don't scream when things are out of control we tend to want to take control. Let me show you this little girl. Come on, you know that face. That says, listen, things may be out of control, but I really don't care because I'm going to take control. And if I can't control this situation, I'm going to control something and someone because I need to be in control. Ah! Come on, some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep, about to take control of this sermon in a minute. Right, but then again, then there's, there's the rest of us that You know, you're way too poised for all of that. Way too spiritual, right? So, for you, your life looks a little bit more like this. Let me show you a a picture of this young man where you just kind of smile and hold it all in. I'm great. Yep. Life is out of control, but I'm good. Just kind of, you know, just take the picture take the pick, right? And you just kind of hold everything in and you're screaming, but it's on the inside. Now, I think as funny as these are, I think in many ways we can be emotional and spiritual infants in a lot of ways when we find ourselves in uncontrollable circumstances. But see, uncontrollable circumstances, we will find ourselves responding in very common ways, or we can see that that uncontrollable circumstances points us To a greater reality that maybe we haven't seen before. You see, when things get out of control, I think this reality emerges that maybe you didn't have as much control of your life as you thought you did. Are you tracking with that? And all of a sudden in that reality, maybe I didn't—I don't have a, 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 as much control as I thought I did. And so that means that I'm really not in control of all things, even though a lot of times I think I'm in control of all things. And that might point us to an uncommon response. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said it like this. He said, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? What Jesus was saying in this is you don't have as much control as you think. But what he's also saying in this particular thing is even though things may be out of control, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. In other words, Jesus is inviting us into an uncommon response to uncontrollable circumstances. He's saying even though everything is going crazy and everything may be out of control, you don't have to be. But that doesn't come through a common way But if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. But rather it comes through an uncommon faith in the one who's in control of all things. Like like uncontrollable circumstances have a way of deepening your relationship with God in a way that maybe you never would have expected or anticipated. Because you realize how little control you actually have. And Jesus says, but there's a much better way, but it's not common It's an uncommon faith in the one who's in control of all things. Now, some of you are sitting here today and you're like, that's beautiful, very cute, very well put together, very poetic. An uncommon faith in a very common world. But I'm struggling. Tell me how this works. Because tomorrow's Monday and I'm wrestling with uncontrollable situations. Some of you guys haven't had an uncontrollable day, an uncontrollable week, an uncontrollable month. Some of you guys have felt like I've been in years where things have been uncontrollable and I'm trying to figure this out And I'm so glad you asked that question because that question is going to drop us right into the heart of an uncontrollable circumstance found in Mark chapter 9 but before we turn to the text I want you to I want to set a little framework for you so Jesus at this particular moment he takes Peter James and John up onto this mountaintop they have no idea what's coming they get up on this mountaintop, and all of a sudden Jesus begins to radiate the glory of God. His 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 entire countenance becomes dazzling white, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear. How many of you guys know? That's a moment. You're up on a mountaintop. It's an average day. Glory revealed. Moses and Elijah. What's up? I mean, this is a moment. And then all of a sudden the 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 the, the a cloud comes down, and a voice from heaven. Begins to declare, this is my son, boys. Listen to what he says. I mean, and they're just like, what is going on? Peter Peter was like, I never want to leave this place. Let's set up some tents. We can set up one for you, one for Elisha, one for Moses. This is awesome. And Jesus is like, settle down, Pete. As awesome as this is, we, we have to go back down into the valley, as awesome as mountaintops are, there's still work to be done in the valley. So they come down the mountaintop and they step right into this, this kind of chaos of an uncontrollable circumstance where a father had brought his son to his disciples. Well, he actually brought his son to Jesus, but when Jesus was up on the mountain doing his thing, he figured disciples are the second next best choice. So he brings his demon-possessed son to the disciples for them to cast out the demon, and they can't do it. And so you could imagine the father is distressed, and at the very same time, the religious leaders and the disciples are disputing. And so we don't know what they were saying. I personally think it might have went something like this. The religious leaders responding to the disciples, see, I told you, you guys weren't from God. You guys are crazy Pentecostals. You don't know what you're talking about, right? And, and instead... Oh, and then the disciples are like, no, we know that this works. We've been doing it. He empowered us a couple of chapters ago. Did you read the chapters? (laughs) And so they're going at it, and Jesus is coming down, and you could imagine the father is still stuck in an uncontrollable circumstance with his son who was demon-possessed, looking at this like, what in the world is going on? So Jesus comes down. Everybody flocks over to Jesus, and Jesus inquires, what's going on here? So they explained to Jesus what had happened. He slaps his disciples and says, hey, all you little faith, men! how long do I got to be with you guys? And he asked them to bring the boy to him. And that's where we're going to pick up. But but, but before we dive into that, I want to explain this to you is that this father was able to access a power that nobody else was able to access in this uncontrollable circumstance. This father was able to, to access a power from God. That his disciples were unable to to access. And and I believe what we're going to learn from this dad is, is three choices that uncommon faith makes in uncontrollable circumstances. So Jesus said, bring the boy to me. And the first thing that I want you to jot down is this. Is that uncommon faith causes us or moves us to acknowledge our helplessness rather than fake our holiness. Let me, let me, let's, let's go to the text. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 20, says this. It says, so they brought, they, so they brought him. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often throw, it, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And the Father said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus continues. I love Jesus' response. If you can. Now, a lot of commentators take this in a multiple in multiple different ways. Some think that he was a little bit more harsh. Some think that he was a little bit more lighthearted. But I think from Jesus' response, it was almost compassion. Like, if you can. Like... Listen, my friend, the, the issue was is not with my power. The issue was is with your faith. And he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, I, I love this immediate response from the father. He says, immediately the, the, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But will you help me overcome my unbelief? A lot of times this father is shot for not having enough faith. But I think we can learn something from the, from the dad here that I think all of us experience, though sometimes we kind of fake it, even though we don't because we're not sure how people are going to feel. We always want to appear further along than we really are. And so we can kind of fake some holiness in order to mask up some of our doubts. Are you guys tracking with that? And so uh, it's amazing to me that when you find yourself in uncontrollable circumstances, you find yourself praying some of the honest prayers you've probably ever prayed. All of a sudden, all your you're poise and, and, and you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, ap- uh, appease people or look a certain way. When you're desperate, it, it almost, you know, with the father's like, listen, Lord, I, I believe, but, but I'm struggling. I mean, I just took my boy to your disciples. They couldn't do it. It's like, I believe I'm here because I believe, but I'm wrestling with some doubts and I'm just not sure how this is going to play out. But then he says, but will you help me? overcome my unbelief. What's so powerful about this is Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't respond in a way that says, hey, listen, man, why don't you go back and work those doubts out? Do you know who you're approaching? (laughs) My glory, man, I'm still radiating from that mountain. Why don't you go back and figure out your doubts? Go muster up some faith and then come back and maybe, maybe I'll answer your prayer. Maybe you can tap into some of that power that you're looking for. But Jesus doesn't say that. Why? Because that's not uncommon faith. That's not saving faith. Matter of fact, it's very common type of faith. Now let me explain. Every other religion on the face of the planet says exactly that. You bring your track record to God. You'll hear countless people say, well, I'm a good person, You know, look at all the things that I've done. Every other religion on the planet says, bring all your good works to God. Bring all your efforts. Bring your track record. Therefore, at that moment, God, he owes you. If you can work it, if you can muster it up, you bring it to God like, hey, God, look at all the stuff that I've done. Now give me a blessing. You owe me. That's very common. That's how culture works. I think not just in other religions but also in culture. Like if you go to a movie, guess what you're going to need to get in? a ticket, something of value. Like you need to bring something to the table in order to get something from. Are you guys with that? But Christianity is completely opposite. Christianity, we are made righteous and we are made holy, not in it of ourselves, but at the infinite cost to God through his son, Jesus, that purely by his grace, through faith in him alone, are we saved. And so, and so we see, we see this, this guy coming uh, to Jesus. We see this dad. And he has the opportunity to put on the facade. He has the opportunity to say, hey, uh, all things are possible, Jesus said to those who believe. He could have easily said, I believe. Look at me. I look like I have faith. I memorized some of the, the Old Testament when I was a kid. I've done some great things. I believe. So many times we feel like before we come to God, there's this idea that we have to clean stuff up and prepare ourselves and and get our prayers sounding just right. And all these things because maybe then if we can bring something to the table, God will bless us. But Christianity says something completely opposite of that. Christianity says not until you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer. That you have to throw yourself fully upon his grace, fully upon him and his power. You don't get access. That's, that's great news, ladies and gentlemen. That's exciting news. Because everywhere that Jesus said, your faith has healed you, your faith has healed you, it's always been a person that realizes I have nothing to offer. I'm completely bankrupt. I've tried everything. I have nothing to offer you. You are my only hope. And this this father, he didn't come faking the funk. He just came and he said, listen, I'm not faithful. I'm struggling with doubts. I'm wrestling on the inside. But would you not accept me based on who I am, but based on who you are? And when you work this out, will you transform me because I know that I am powerless in and of myself to do anything. And Jesus said, I can work with that. And so what does Jesus do? So, so let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me frame this out for you just, just for a moment. Uh, what, what are you faking? What, what part of your life have you been putting on a facade when you just really need to be honest and cry out? Like it's okay to bring your struggles and your doubts to him as long as you throw yourself on him, trusting that he is the source of all that you need. The second thing we learned from this dad is that we need to trust Jesus with what matters most, no matter how it looks. And this is a little bit tougher. Like, the first one's really encouraging, right? You come to Jesus, you cry out to God, and God responds to the cry of his people. Look, Mark nine twenty-five. look what it says. It says that when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. Come out of him and never enter him again. Continue. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. In the original language, it basically said he was dead. That that was the point. People looked, they said, he's gone. You ever feel like sometimes if you bring your most valuable, your most precious, the things that matter most to you, to Jesus, that it might get worse before it gets better? That's what a lot of us are afraid of, right? I mean, really think about it. I had a young lady that I was talking with, and and she's like, I want to surrender everything to Jesus, including my relationship. And so she knew that, um, that having sex with her boyfriend was not God's best for her. It's not because anybody was saying, don't do this, don't do that. She she knew, this is not what God, this is not God's best for me. But here was the challenge. She knew that if I bring that and I give that to Jesus, there's a chance that something might die. There's a chance that it might get worse before it gets better. And that's exactly what happened. He left her. After like five years of relationship, he bailed. And I saw her cry and wrestle and, and just like, I know I made the right decision, but man, I trusted Jesus. And now it looks like it's, it's, it's not working. And anybody ever feel like that? Like you've given something to the Lord that's so important to you. And then as you do that, it feels like everything goes wrong. But like when people tell you to come to Jesus and, and everything is going to be so much better, it is. But, but that process, sometimes it looks like things are dying. Sometimes things have to die before they can be resurrected again. Are you guys tracking with that? I, I remember when Jackie and I, well, let, let me say with this with this young lady, is that um, it was painful for a season. But, but the guy that he brought her now, oh, man, she would have dumped that guy a long time ago. <laughs> but it's hard to trust your most important things. Because sometimes it looks like it might go south. When Jackie and I were, were making our transition here to Fountain, it was really God was asking me to trust him with my family. One of the biggest things that I feared was, what if I can't provide? I, I always want to be able to provide for my family and take care of them. And what if I, I can't? there were so many what ifs going through my mind. And I felt like the Lord was saying, will you trust me with your family? But little did I know that. Man, he was going to take us on a journey over the last three years that, that would, would completely blow my mind. But, but if I can just be vulnerable with you guys for a minute, we've been tested in every area. Let, let me explain. So before we came here to found, I mean, we had a very comfortable place. We had a very comfortable rhythm in our life. We meal prepped all the time. We were working out solidly. Our marriage, you would think, I mean, there's no such thing as perfect marriage, but we were close I mean, we were just floating, quality time with the kids. I mean, it just seemed. I mean, we weren't rich, but we weren't struggling. It was just like we were in a sweet spot. And the God says, "Listen, I want to. I want to change your life in three weeks." And none of that is promised. And can I just tell you that, man, it was the best decision that we ever made. But we have been tested and tried in every single area. It got worse before it got better. Our marriage, trying to figure out life now. We, we were like wow, we never used to do this. And we're arguing and we're bumping heads and we're, it's a new season and our kids had to go through transition and financially it was like, all right, here we go. And there were so many things that tested and tried us, but the fruit that's come from this church of what God has been doing here, but also the fruit that's happened in our lives. We would never trade that for the world because what God has done on the inside of us It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Everything God is doing in our church is amazing. But what God has done on the inside of us, oh, man, it's been priceless, but it's been hard. But how many of you guys are encouraged and excited that that even though we trust Jesus with our most important things, no matter how it looks, that we serve a God who is able uh, to, to bring dead things back to life? Are you tracking with me? We serve a God who we can trust who doesn't leave us hanging, who doesn't lead us or leave us out on a limb to hang, that the most perfect, most beautiful place that we could have ever been in was jumping off of a cliff and trusting him with the things that matter most despite how it looks. I believe for somebody today, you know that God is calling you to trust him with some things of yours. Maybe it's a career that God is saying, I want you to place that into my hands. Maybe it's some dreams And you're scared because if I give this to God, what will happen? Can I tell you what will come out of it? Life. No matter how it looks. Sometimes you may have to wrestle through some things. Like for some of you, the Lord say, I want you to give me that bitterness. I want you to give me that unforgiveness because it's really important to you right now. And you're afraid that if you give it up, you're going to lose credibility. You're afraid if you give it up, you're um, going to lose something. And God's like, no, 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 that stuff needs to die and I'm going to lift you up into a brand new life. What in your life today is God asking you to trust him with? That you're holding on to. We have to trust him with what matters most, no matter how it looks. And lastly is this, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We have to make prayer a continual posture, not just an emergency procedure. This is probably like really the, the crux of everything because it wasn't just the dad that was facing an uncontrollable circumstance. It was his disciples. Like, these guys, these guys know the deal. These guys know the drill. And here they are, and they face this demon-possessed kid, and, and what's happening? Nothing. It's not working. I wonder if they looked at this kid like, ooh, this is a, this one has been there a long time. Yeah, I can tell. And they tried. And look what the text says. Mark chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. The disciples pulled Jesus aside. Hey, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately. Right, they pulled him aside. Like, hey, Jesus, what happened, man? We ran the play. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, "This kind can come out only by prayer. Later translations add fasting, but most likely in the original text, it's just just prayer. This kind." It's interesting. You have to lean in. When you read your Bible, you have to lean in because what the language and the verbiage that the disciples are using is a lot like the language and the culture that magicians or sorcerers would use when they find a good formula. And it's almost as if the disciples were coming and saying, hey, Jesus, we ran the play. Like, we did exactly what we've always done. And Jesus said, you missed it. You guys are are putting more trust in the play than in prayer and power. And Jeff, you can come up for me if you would. So they're wrestling through this, and they're trying to figure out what is happening here. What in the world is happening? And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out, time out. You can't just run the play like normal. Why? Because this is a different kind. See, what you needed to do was to have a posture of prayer so that you're prepared with power for anything that comes. So essentially, guys, what he was saying is you guys tried to run the play, but you didn't even pray. And it wasn't just in the moment, but Jesus is speaking to their spiritual life that prayer was never meant to be an emergency procedure. Prayer was meant to be a continual posture of our heart. Why? Why? Because if you're taking notes, if you want to jot anything down, jot this down, is that your prayer life will reflect your faith walk. Because when there is no prayer, prayer shows your source of dependence. And so when there's no prayer happening in our lives, what we're saying is this. We're saying one of three things. I got it. Or it doesn't matter because you're not going to do anything. Or I really don't believe you can do anything and so so we we see Jesus saying man you guys missed it It's, it's never been about running the play it's always been about tapping in to my power it's not just about an emergency procedure it's about living a life of continual prayer and a posture of intimacy with me so you know how to move see King David understood this every time King David would go to a battle he would ask the Lord okay Lord I know we ran that play last time what about this time Lord, say, run the same play. And He come back again. Lord, I know this is the play we ran last time. What about this play? Lord, say, you know what? We're not going to run that play this time. I'm going to have you go around a different route. It's this constant reality of being in tune with what God is saying. Now, in 1982, maybe you guys have, have heard of, of a famous guy. His name is Billy Graham. This guy has won millions of people to Jesus. Maybe you're new to church and you're like, who's Billy? He's a very popular guy in Christendom. But he was about to appear on the morning show. And, and as he was uh, getting ready for it, they, they said, hey, we have a green room for you to pray. That's what they told his assistant. And if you can hit that analog for me, that'd be awesome. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, we have a prayer room for you and we, get, we got everything ready to go for you, Billy. And his assistant said, well, he doesn't need a prayer room. They said, well, this is like one of the biggest moments of his life. It's going to be on Good Morning America. They're like, come on, it's a morning show. They said, yeah, well, Billy, um, when he got up this morning, when he got up this morning, he prayed. And during breakfast, he was praying. And then on the way here, he was praying. Matter of fact, he'll probably be pl- praying throughout this interview. And it's just this, this reality of living in constant prayer. With the Lord. Now, now, let me close with this. In this whole uncontrollable circumstance, who do you think was the most confident? I would say it was Peter, James, and John because they just came off of the mountaintop experiencing the glory of God in a way that you just don't experience and are not transformed. They were like, like we saw him radiate, we saw Moses and Elisha. We, we saw the glory cloud come down and the voice from heaven speak, this is my son. I bet they were watching this whole thing like, you guys have no idea. We just came off this mountain, something is about to happen. And I'm sure there was a confidence that the other disciples didn't have. Why? Because something happens when we posture ourselves to experience and encounter God in a way that, 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 that transcends the common and taps into the supernatural, and that's what prayer does. Prayer helps us to see the unseen, and that's where faith lives. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says that faith is the substance of things not seen. Or is a substance of things hoped for and being certain of what we do not see. Let, let me Let me explain and close with this story. Jackie and I, for our honeymoon, we went to Mexico. We were hanging out on Lover's Beach because that's what married couples do. And, and two girls, the waves started picking up dramatically. And two girls started to drown. Like they were screaming, they were crying out and just started to, we could see that they were engulfed and the lifeguard was some distance away. So at that moment, I got my Baywatch anointing. You guys, you guys know that? And so, uh, so I just run in there, shirt on though because you don't want to see me with my shirt off. And uh, I run in there. I plunge in. I swim. I grab one of the girls, and I'm bringing her back. I'm already exhausted by the time I g- I got to her, and I I I start to pull her back and bring her in. And we're getting close to the shore, and all the water sucked back. And I looked at, at her, and I looked back at this massive wave, and I said, "You just gotta hold on, because this wave is about to crush us." And sure enough, this wave hit us so hard it spit me on the beach. My pants came down. It was embarrassing. But I tell you, I experienced the weight of the ocean in a way that has transformed me forever. Like when I see like people out there thinking they're awesome in the wave, I'm like, you just watch. The weight. And, 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 and so here the disciples, they're up on this hillside. They experience the weight of the glory of God. That when the glory of God falls, the weight of God falls, it, everything else has to move. And that's what prayer does, ladies and gentlemen. Prayer plunges us, plunges us, not just to petition God, but plunges us into the promises of God that we can lay hold of. Look, look at this passage real quick, Romans chapter 4. I know I said I was closing, but I, I lied. Abraham, Abraham, it's Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it's a typo, but Abraham, it says that God said, you're going you're gonna to have kids, and, and him and Sarah are old, and he's like, no, Are you, like, look at my body. Abraham looked at his body. He looked at the impossibility. He looked at the uncontrollable circumstances. But look what it says in the message version. I love this. It says he didn't tiptoe around God's promises, asking continuously skeptical questions, but rather he plunged himself into the promise and came up strong and ready for God. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer is not just a place for you to petition prayer is a place for you to plunge into the promises of God, allow you to meditate on everything that, 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 that changes, allows you to meditate on all the promises of God that changes everything about facing your circumstance. And even though things may still be out of control, you can be strong and you can be ready for God. Now, Thomas Watson, a famous Puritan, this is, I promise, this is it and I'm done. Let me just read you a quote from him. He said, trade much in the promises. Promises are great supports to faith. Faith lives in a promise as a fish lives in the water. The promises are both comforting, comforting and quickening. The promises of God keep us from sinking when we come to waters of affliction. Oh, trade much in the promises. There is not a condition that you can be in, but you have a promise. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me today. In uncontrollable circumstances, if you would posture yourself in such a way and choose to acknowledge your helplessness and not fake your holiness, if you would come and bring what's most important no matter how it looks, and if you would make prayer the posture of your life rather than an emergency procedure, I promise you, you're going to walk out and live in an uncommon faith. That's not in you and your abilities. That's not in the circumstances and how uncontrollable they are. But it's a faith that throws itself completely on God, his grace, and his power. And let me just tell you, little faith in a great God moves big mountains.